It's our band. Seriously, if I didn't work here, I'd come to church here. (laughs) So this week and last week, I've been continuing with our Spirit Flicks message series for the summer, Finding Meaning in Movies. And today, I will be preaching my final message in this series for the summer. It will continue when Reverend Ken returns in a couple weeks. But before I get into this week's message, I want to share something that happened after last week. Last week, I preached a Spirit Flix message, and I had a number of people come up to me after a Sunday. Not what you think. I had a number of people come up to me after the service, some after the service on Sunday. Sunday, Some sent me messages or emails during the week, and they were all trying to say the same thing. They were trying to pay a compliment. And everybody was kind of dancing around this issue. They were sort of saying, you know, it's so wonderful, it's so nice, and it makes me so proud of my congregation of Wellsprings that even when we don't have our star team, even when we don't have our marquee players, right, our our lead people, we can still put on a great, fun, wonderful, heart-filled, chargeful service. And they were referring, of course, to Reverend Ken Belden, our lead minister, who's been on sabbatical for most of the summer, and also Teresa, his wife, who leads our band most weeks and who's been on vacation. She was on vacation last week, and she's on vacation this week. Now, (laughs) a lot of our regular players were here last week, of course, right? Our instrumentalists in the band, our wonderful spring singers were here last week. Mick McAndrews was our worship leader last week, a a leader who's been here in the congregation for a long time, a very experienced worship leader. I was here. I'm no slouch, you know. (laughs) But I get what they meant, and I get the beautiful intention behind it. Let Let me let you in on a little secret. This is part of the purpose of a sabbatical. Right? We, we do appreciate even more what we miss when our lead minister is not here. We see all the things that he adds and brings in a new way because we see what happens when he's not here, adding and bringing them. But we also get to see that we're more than just one person in this community. We are a community of people who all can support each other, who all can pull together, who can pick up slack, roll with the punches like our tech team had to do this morning. You might hear more about that later. (laughs) Who can work together. The piece of the service at Wellsprings that our worship leader, that Chris led this morning, is in many churches called the liturgy. It's the ritual of things that happen every week that we're used to, that are familiar for us. Liturgy is a fancy church word that means, its root word means the work of the people. And so our liturgy is led here at Wellsprings most weeks, not by an ordained minister, but by one of you, one of our leaders in the congregation, a member of Wellsprings. And that worship leader further brings all kinds of people into our liturgy, right? Who lights the chalice each week? One of you. Who takes the offering? Who receives it? People of all ages, often kids, right? Passing the hats. And I think the best part, personally, my personal opinion, of our liturgy here at Wellsprings is the music. And we all create the music. The band helps. 
They help a lot. <laughs> but we all sing. We all sing along. We sing in harmony. We dance. The little ones especially dance. We join in and we all take part and have a part in what's being created here. So if you haven't seen today's Spirit Flicks movie, 20 Feet from Stardom, I'll tell you that it is, or at least for me, was simultaneously a deeply satisfying movie to watch and an existentially confusing movie to watch. Sort of like all those folks last week who wanted to tell me how much they appreciated our second string service. <laughs> it, it brings up some conflicting thoughts and feelings. 20 Feet from Stardom is a documentary that tells the story of backup singers. It tells a story of about a half a dozen of some of the most prolific women in this field. Talented, talented singers from the last 50 years, spanning the last half a century of pop and rock and R&B music making, most of whose faces and names we do not know and do not recognize. We watch and we listen as these women, people like Darlene Love and Mary Clayton, Lisa Fisher, Tata Vega, we watch as they work together to create amazing music. The harmonies and the layer upon layer in this movie of ecstatic musical depth. And then as we begin to hear their stories, we start to understand that there is a wide variety amongst them in terms of their experience of what this work is like. For some of these women, making music with other people, making this beautiful sound is truly enough. It's truly where they want to be. For them, it is where they feel they are living out their calling. But for other women, and actually I think for most of the women that the film profiles, it's a lot more complicated than that. They love making this beautiful music with these other artists, but they also have stories that are terribly vulnerable and sad. Stories of dreams they came this close to, tantalizingly close to realizing, but that never quite materialized. It was a frustrating movie for me to watch for that reason because they ask everybody. They interview all of these lead singers that these backup singers have worked with, Sting and Sheryl Crow and Stevie Wonder, Bruce, Bruce Springsteen. And they say, what is it? You know, what is it that makes some people able to kind of cross this threshold and come to the front of the stage? There has to be a reason, right? What, what would make this feel fair? But nobody really gives a satisfying answer to me. The best Bruce can do, and he's Bruce, is kind of come up with a, it's complicated kind of answer. And so I was troubled the first time I saw this movie. Because I wanted to find the moral of the story, in part because I wanted to preach about it for all of you, but I really didn't want the right answer, the spiritual lesson of this movie, to be, just be happy with where you are and never want more for yourself. <laughs> uh, right, Lisa Fisher, one of the backup singers in the film, is perfectly content with where she is. She has had an incredible career, and she has come to a place in her life where she just loves making music and loves the art form of it. And that's wonderful. But I can't ask Mary Clayton to be Lisa Fisher. 
Mary Clayton's voice breaks during one of the interviews in the movie when she says, I felt like if I just gave my heart to what I was doing, I would automatically be a star. I want to show you a video clip. Cross our fingers. Short video clip from the film of Mary Clayton, who I just mentioned. This is where she tells the story of how she was asked to, well, let's see if it's going to work. Um, It's where she tells the story of coming into, the filmmakers bring her into the studio where she recorded Gimme Shelter with the Rolling Stones as a backup singer. And it's her telling the story of what that night was like, along with Mick Jagger and his impressions of what that night was like. So let's see how this goes. Did the video cut off, or is it just a volume issue? (laughs) Please ignore the political ads at the bottom of the video. All right, so we're having trouble with sound, it seems like. Yes. The, um, The iPad shuffle thing... You want to plug that cable into the computer and see if that works? And if that doesn't work, I will narrate this video for you all. How much fun will that be? <laughs> it's, not, it's not working. All right. So go back to the beginning of the video, and I'm going to tell everybody what happens, okay? All right. <laughs> and it's hard to see, too. We'll start here. So Mary Clayton comes into the studio... And she goes, ah, this is my home. She's so thrilled to be where she is in this memory. And they sit her down and they ask her about the night that she was called to sing back up on Gimme Shelter for the Rolling Stones. And they call her in the middle of the night. This agent says, we've got somebody in town, the rolling, the rolling somebody's. (laughs) And they need somebody to sing on this track. And she goes, okay. So she says, she shows up, it's one in the morning, she's pregnant. At this time, she's pregnant. She's in slippers. She puts on a robe, a Chanel scarf over her head. She's got curlers in her hair. And she comes into the studio, and Mick Jagger has written this part that he really wants a woman to sing. In Gimme Shelter, there's this um, vocal part that's about rape and murder. And she says, She goes, Rape, murder? It's just a shot away. But she decides she's going to give it a go, and she starts singing along with Mick Jagger first. And then he kind of tells her to let go, just let loose, do whatever she wants to do. I'm going to try to sing this, y'all. So she goes, (laughs) she goes, rape, murder, it's just a shot away, it's just a shot away. So that was great. Imagine even a hundred times better, Mary Clayton, okay? And she talks about how she had to go up the octave and her voice breaks open in this amazing way. It's incredible. You should go home and watch it on YouTube (laughs) because you have to hear it. But in the recording, there's even a moment when you hear the Rolling Stones in the background as she hits that high note. All the guys in the band go, yeah! (laughs) They love it. These are the Stones, and they are in awe of her skills and her talent. She ends the video, and 
the, the vocal track cuts out, and she's sitting in the studio after she's told the story. She has this smile on her face, like she knew what she did. And she goes, I don't hear any clapping to the camera people around. <laughs> she is amazing. She's an amazing talent. And my favorite part of that whole clip is that part where she gets the phone call in the middle of the night. When they call her and they say, we've got the rolling uh, somebodies here. There's something great about that. There's something really beautiful about that moment that's full of potential, where things start, where new things are being created. And the way that that moment breaks down that line between nobody and somebody. Nobody knows who anybody is when Mick Jagger and Mary Clayton get together in a room. It doesn't matter. Nobody knows who anybody is at the start of something new. There's a theme that runs all throughout the Christian scriptures, especially the New Testament. And it's a theme that kind of asks this question, do we trust the things of this world or of a world beyond? There are a lot of quotes in the Christian scriptures about this theme, and the theme gets a really bad rap often. And I'm, I'm with people on that generally. There are certain quotes in the Bible, like this one. It should be coming up next here. Yes. If you ever need a Bible quote represented graphically, go to Pinterest, by the way. They're everywhere. <laughs> this quote from 1 John 2.15. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in him. Do not love the world. There's this idea that the world is fallen, that the world is not where we should place our hearts. And this is an idea that Unitarian Universalism has evolved against in many ways, works against in many ways, right? This feels foreign to us. We believe in loving this world fiercely. We believe in being right here, right now. We sing a song at Wellsprings called Holy Now that's kind of the ode to the anti-this <laughs> scripture quote, right? By the UU singer-songwriter Peter Mayer. Each new morning is a miracle, just like the song of the little red-winged bird and the questions on a child's face. It's all holy. But one of the questions that we often get from people of other religious traditions is with that kind of outlook, how do we deal with pain? How do we deal with disappointment? If everything's a miracle, what does it mean when everything has gone wrong for us? What does it mean to love this world when this world for us might seem hopeless? There's been a lot of hopelessness in the news this past week. We sang a song earlier, Fragile. There's always a lot of hopelessness in the world and a lot of violence. Sometimes the news puts our, it in our faces in a different way. But violence is all around us. There's a Lutheran pastor named Nadia Boltz Weber, who I love. In her latest book, she has a little section where she talks about discovering Unitarian Universalism before she became a Lutheran. 
And she says, I really, really wanted to be a UU. I love those people. They were awesome. I tried so hard to be a Unitarian. She's very kind. She's very complimentary to our faith, but she just says, at the end of the day, I know what I'm capable of. I know what the world is capable of. And those people have way more faith in humanity than I ever could. Ouch. (laughs) I put that book down and thought about that for a while. What do we do with that? With injustice and disappointments and invisibility. What do we do in our faith when it feels like the world is telling us that we are nobody? It's those questions that help me to start seeing this theme in Christianity in a slightly different light. It helps me to see how quotes like the one I shared can be a source of comfort in those times. It points to something bigger or beyond what we see in this world, what we can taste and touch and know. Those things are here and they are holy, but there is also more. Do we trust only what we know, or do we trust the possibility of a world yet to come? Even if we might never see that world show up. How might trusting that change us? There's another scene in this film with the singer Darlene Love. She's right here. Darlene Love was one of the very first black women backup singers to ever enter the white mainstream studios in the 1950s. She sings backup on every song you've ever heard of (laughs) from the 60s. And I'm only exaggerating a little bit there. Darlene tells a story of her career And it is an awful story. She is cheated out of her own voice. She's exploited by producers who take her vocal recordings and dub them over other actors' images, other performers' images. This has been done for a long time, often taking African-American voices and dubbing them over white singers' images. But this also happens within her own community, with singers who are seen dubbed more attractive, or more marketable for the audience that the producers are trying to reach. She becomes so frustrated because she hits all these places where she thinks she's going to break out of this pattern, but she's always beaten back down. She has never been allowed to own her own career, to own her own gift. And so she decides one day that she's going to leave it all behind, and she quits. She walks out. She quits the music industry. And she falls into a deep depression. She talks about this time and says she couldn't sing anywhere but in church sometimes. And because she needed to make money to make ends meet, she starts cleaning houses, right? doing a form of labor, domestic labor, that is also often invisible unjustly in our society. So she talks about this day close to Christmas time as she's cleaning this lady's bathroom she says. She has the radio playing. And the song Christmas Baby Please Come Home comes on the radio. 
her voice. Beautiful. And she looks up from the bathroom floor and she says, this is not where I'm supposed to be. It's a victory scene. She goes back to singing and from the here, the movie tells her story in a way that sort of shapes it as a victory scene, right? This is the turning point where she goes back into music, what she loves. She gets a new contract. She says she takes these little jobs. She works her way up. It doesn't happen immediately. And eventually sort of culminates with the fact that she gets recognized by being inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame for all of her work. But I have to say, for me, this would be a victory scene, whether or not any of that stuff happened. She is not winning in this movie, Darlene Love, because she won an award or because she got another contract. She is winning because she is a woman named Darlene on her hands and knees in a bathroom who trusts what's in her soul against all evidence to the contrary, against all that she sees in the world of her present circumstance. Think about how easily that could have been a sad scene. A has-been who hears her old song on the radio while she scrubs a toilet, and it just twists that knife of disappointment deeper. But no, that's not what happens. She looks up. She hears her voice, her own voice, and she says, this is not where I'm supposed to be. It's a moment of new birth, of trusting possibility, possibility that comes from beyond this world that she can see. She decides to trust it. Loving this world, for me, is not passive. Loving this world is not about sitting back and saying, well, isn't everything perfect and beautiful? Loving this world is about singing into it. Using our voices, improvising, creating, working together in harmony with what's here and with what each other brings. Loving this world is with that note of possibility that comes in from a voice on the radio, that we can choose to ignore or we can let rekindle the fire in our hearts that reminds us that we're not nobody. We're somebody with a divine spark and a gift inside of us. Our sense of worth comes from something bigger than which string we play on or how close to the lead mic we stand. Remembering that You're somebody, remembering your worth. It's the only way that we can work in harmony with each other instead of competition, instead of resentment for what one person has and what another does not have. It's the only way we can find justice. When we truly know and trust our worth, we don't need to destroy or take from the worth of others to make up for a sense of lack in our own. This woman, Dr. Mabel John, has the scene right before Darlene's scene in the bathroom. She's one of the original Raylettes with Ray Charles. 
And she has got the money line in this movie. She says, we, we in the music industry need to know our worth. We need to know we're important. And I think the breakdown is when a woman doesn't know who she is and she settles for less. Check out your worth, she says. Check out your worth because you're worth more than that. We're worth more than what the world will sometimes tell us. But we're worth just as much as what the world beyond calls us to believe. That is our faith. We are all somebody. And there are no nobodies. None. The world beyond asks us to trust this. To trust the possibilities not yet seen when they break into our days with a song on the radio or a call in the middle of the night. So I pray today that we will pay attention. That we will pay attention as though what happens in our lives can save us. That we will trust the new possibilities that will break into this world from the beyond as if everything was holy. And I pray that we will feel ready when that time comes, to sing our parts. Amen. May you live in blessing. Let's pray together. God of our hearts, God who puts a song into each and every one of our souls, a song that is uniquely ours to sing, a song that the world is worse off for not hearing. Holy One, help us to trust that there is a deep and inherent somebodiness inside each of us. And help us to remember that when we come together, that that somebodiness is inside everyone else. And that this is our call to be in community together. For these prayers and for the prayers that each of us carries on our hearts this morning, we say, Amen.